Good evening, saints and friends. Good to have you, our Bible study crew. You are most welcome, and we are glad you've joined us. We are going to take some time and bow our heads, and we're going to go before the Lord in prayer. So let's do that right now. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you, God. We love you, honor you, and appreciate you for all that you are and all that you mean. God, we're praying that you would illuminate this Bible study, that you would give us clarity, wisdom of thought, clarity of speech, that your revelation knowledge would flow freely, unhindered, and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic forces, and that no one's coming, tuning in, or listening, or re-watching will be in vain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's dig right in. So for Mother's Day, last Sunday, we uh, had the title, the working title, Lord, Help Me Bring Forth. And so I was thinking in terms of mothers, but I was also thinking of specifically the birthing process is what made me think of that. And uh, the idea that we need help to birth and bring forth things. So that's kind of the framework, what we were working from. And so I gave us a working uh, definition of the phrase bring forth, and it is to produce or give rise to something, produce fruit or flowers to cause something to happen or be seen or even known. So the idea was that uh, something being produced, it reminded me of Sister Ruth's uh her sermon, we should talk about what is required to bloom that produce fruit or flowers reminded me of blooming. So we've kind of been in the idea and the mindset of bringing forth and blooming and what it takes to do that. And in between that, uh, Lady Devin talked about the, uh, the idea that there's a war going on. And so the war is to keep us from producing. So with that understanding, we have to be able to declare, Lord, help me bring forth. In other words, we need the help of the Lord to make this happen. So having said that, let's uh, start with this first scripture. Genesis 30 and 1. It says, and when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. Uh, I'll take some time and, and kind of back up and give us a uh, rundown briefly of of the story that kind of catches us up. So you have, um, in the scripture, you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the founding of what we call the Israelite nation. And Jacob was the one whose name was changed to Israel when he began to uh, have children, and he wrestled with the Lord. So what we're seeing is after the idea of Jacob and Esau, and he had tried to trick his brother, and then he runs and he flees. He ends up at his uncle house, Laban, and he falls in love with Rachel. And he says he would work for Rachel, but his uncle gives him Leah instead. And then uh, he has to work another seven years to get Rachel. Rachel was always the one that he loved. The scripture specifically says about Leah that she was weak-eyed. Uh, some people think maybe she had a lazy eye or cross-eyed or there was something visible about her 
that wasn't as attractive as Rachel. So her weakness was obvious. It was up front. However, Rachel had a weakness as well, but it wasn't known until much later on. Rachel was known as the beautiful one, the lovely one. But Rachel had an internal issue where she was barren. She could not produce children. So out of the union, Rachel was the one that Jacob loved the most, but Leah was the one that actually produced the most. And something to remember about this is that sometimes when a person's weakness is obvious, they are counted out like Leah. And when a person's weakness is hidden like Rachel, uh, they are always uh, pushed to the forefront or elevated, promoted. And sometimes if you're the type of person where your weakness is obvious, whatever it is, uh, and you've always been cast over, this story and this narrative kind of helps you understand that God doesn't um, judge like man judges. God still knows how to bless you. So when it came to bearing children, Leah was well out in front of Rachel. And so let's go back with that context and let's look at this again. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. Now, it seems to possibly suggest that in the adverse situation or previously it's a possibility that Leah could have envied Rachel because of her beauty or always being put first but the scripture never says that so there was a possibility for her to be envious but she chose not to and um, it could be because of how she was treated because of the weakness of her eyes because of her weakness being so obvious she wasn't wired to be envious and jealous she was wired to just try to do the best she could to survive in the land. But Rachel being always put first and put up front, she had a hard time dealing with Leah being in front of her when it came to uh, producing children, especially since Jacob loved Rachel more and desired Rachel more. The idea that she couldn't produce bothered her, but instead of just being bothered about it, it made her envious against her sister to the point where she demands of Jacob, give me children or else I die. You, you see the type of anguish, uh, anxiety and uh, stress that she was under and she's putting it off on her husband. And then he makes a statement in verse two. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Jacob is basically saying, it's not my fault. You know, I, I don't know why you're taking this out on me because at the end of the day, Rachel, this is between you and God. And so that brings us to our first point when we're talking about uh, bringing forth. And that first point is here, we'll, we'll bring it up. Ultimately, bringing forth is in God's hands. It's in the Lord's hands. So the idea is that production of any kind, promotion of any kind, uh, success of any real kind comes from the Lord's hands. It doesn't come from the hands of you forcing things to happen, you making things happen. One of the, the things that I think we struggle with as Christians is through our faith, we try to make things happen. We try to make God do things. 
Now, God will always do what's in line with his word. So if you line up to his word, then yes, together you can work. The scripture says we are laborers together with God. But you can't force God to get ahead of his time. God does things on his timing. He does things even as it relates to you on his time. And so let's let's back up again and look at what she says again in verse one. Give me children or else I die. She's threatening him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to die if this doesn't happen. Sometimes people get into that that mindset with God, like, if God doesn't do what I want, I'm going to commit suicide. If things don't go a certain way, we, we have to be careful being that way because at the end of the day, God is the controller and the purveyor of the universe. We are just simply peons in this entire cosmic space. And the fact that he would want to relate to us is a beautiful thing. So we should have gratitude. And even when things don't go our way and they're not moving as quick and as fast paced as we want them to move, we have no right to demand of God because he's God and we're man. So we always have to remember that point. Ultimately, bringing forth is in God's hand. So that's why we titled this, Lord, help me bring forth. In other words, whatever I'm producing, I understand that if I'm going to be productive, number one, I've got to produce what you want me to produce. Number two, I need your help to even produce it because there's so many things that are coming against me to keep me from blooming. There's a war going on, uh, like the previous uh, messages we've heard. And so here I am, I'm at your mercy, God, and with your help, I will produce, but I only want to produce what you want me to produce. I don't want to do anything ahead of you. I don't want to get behind you. I don't want to be standing still when you want me moving forward. I don't want to be moving forward when you want me standing still. I understand my times are in your hand. One scripture says it that simply, it says, my times are in your hand, God. So we trust God with everything, and then we trust him when it's time for us to produce that he'll be the one to help us. So that's kind of the premise we were working from. All right, so going from that point to this, verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. A lot of things going on in that uh, verse. It says, then God remembered Rachel. So the question we have to ask ourselves, does it mean at some point Rachel was forgotten? Because it says, then he remembered her. Well, the scripture says that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. But oftentimes we leave and forsake God. And so what happens is, we get outside of the will of God, the plan of God, and he is not obligated to move in our direction on our behalf when we are not yielded to him. When we yield to him, he moves again like he always planned to move. But to us, it feels like God finally remembered me. God decided to open up my womb and allow me to conceive. But the truth of the matter is oftentimes it is us who has forgotten God and once we remember God, it gives God an opportunity to remember us. Remember that uh, this is a relationship. Uh, God and us is a relationship. And so when you have a natural relationship, if you keep putting a person on the back burner consistently, you keep uh, forgetting about them, you forget their birthday, you forget anniversary, you forget important times, you, you're not concerned about things they're concerned about. You really can't be mad when they don't move 
when you want them to move because you've already treated them as if they're an afterthought. So once you relate to them correctly, it gives them a chance to relate to you the way uh, you would want them to relate to you. So when we put it in the mindset of God, very similar. So when, when the scripture says God remembered, it doesn't necessarily mean he, he had forgotten. It normally is pointing to the fact that man has forgotten God. And once they get back in proximity with God, God can go ahead and allow what his plan to continue. Now, what God does not do, he doesn't erase his plan uh, for your life if he doesn't have to. What he'll do, he'll put it on pause. You go off, do your thing. And you come back crying to God, he'll unpause it and you can pick up where you left off. He doesn't just throw you away. He gives you a chance. But the scripture talks about how God chases after us. He chases after his love is in pursuit after us. But it comes a certain time that he's not in full pursuit. He stands still and waits for you to get back to where you should be so that things can move forward like they should. So I hope, I hope that uh, makes some sense as we're, we're moving forward. So. We see that in verse 22. Let's look at verse 23. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and said, God has taken away my disgrace. Verse 24, she named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. Uh, at this point is where I begin to celebrate Rachel. So, so previously, we're talking about all the things that it looks like Rachel had done wrong up until this point. But here, what I love about the fact that she finally gets a breakthrough and then she begins to ask for something else. She begins to trust God to do something else. Let's uh, put that back up again. She named him Joseph and say, may the Lord add to me another son. Let's go all the way back and see. We can see how Rachel learned learned a lesson. So we're going to we're going to go back to uh Verse one, put that back up. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob, no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. So at that point, she was expecting Jacob to provide the answer. But when we fast forward to what we just read, here she says, may the Lord add to me another son. See, Rachel had learned her lesson. She had put her trust in man before. And now after she finally got a breakthrough, now she's putting her trust in God, which shows us why the Lord was able to remember her because previously she had her focus on the wrong thing. So that's a lesson for us to learn. Our times are in God's hands. So let's put our focus on him, not on man, not on ourselves, not on other things, not on our jobs, not on our education, not on our money, not even on family. Our focus is on God so God can do what he wants to do in our life. And then when God brings forth, we don't say, oh, let me do it again. That's not what Rachel said. She said, may the Lord add another. God, you've done it before. Now I'm trusting you to do it again. So that brings us to this point. When God helps us bring forth one breakthrough, it leaves us longing for the next. What it does, it shows us what's possible. See, once we are in struggle, we only deal with what is probable. But once we see God, we begin to shift from what is probable to what is possible. And the scripture makes it plainly clear. All things are possible 
to him that believes. So if I'm able to believe in the God that can do it, then I shift from probability to possibility. So your probability may be low, but your possibility is huge, you and God. Me and me is nothing. Me and me is zero. Me and God is everything. And it opens up unlimited possibility. So when unlimited possibility is stirred up in you, you begin to long for another breakthrough. Okay, I got one thing. Let's see what else God can do. And that's the beauty of growing with God. You begin to have faith for new journeys, new levels. Uh, I mentioned it Sunday that the top of one mountain is the bottom of another mountain. So you, you go from higher heights to deeper depths. It, it, it should create in us a journey to continue to pursue. The only problem comes up in our next point. So we'll read the points back to back. Two, when God helps us bring forth one breakthrough, it leaves us longing for the next breakthrough. Here's the problem we, we deal with, verse, uh, not verse three, but point three. Also, when God helps us bring forth one breakthrough, Satan positions himself to stop the next breakthrough. So we get stirred up to see what is possible. Satan gets ticked off based on what's possible. And Satan goes in array to begin to stop you from arriving at whatever is next that God has for you. The other problem that we have is Satan moves quicker than God. God moves much more methodically, much uh, slower, much more with the strategy. He's strategic in his movements. Satan is very reactionary. Satan is not a creator. He's never created anything in his life. The only thing he can do is pervert what God has created or distort what God has created. So Satan has to wait till he sees something and then he moves reactionary in order to try to stop it. The problem is, as humans, we sometimes are reactionary as well. So God gives us one breakthrough and we start trusting God to give us another breakthrough. Satan reactionary tries to stop all of our progress and oftentimes we react to the problem more than we react to God. Or more than we think, okay, God, if you got me this far, I know you can get me further. I'm not saying it's easy, but what we have to look at is that if God is signaling to us there is greater ahead, then Satan also realizes there's greater ahead. So it's his job to stop us from achieving whatever is ahead. So when things are going good and all of a sudden chaos comes, we shouldn't count it as something crazy, that should be par for the course, that that we should expect it. The older you get in God and the more you grow in God, the more you begin to understand some things are expected. Some things are not going to come without a fight. That's why Lady Devon told us there is a war going on. What is the war over? It's over your faith to get you not to believe, because if you don't believe, you cannot move into the things God has for you. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The thing is, God is not reactionary. So he sees Satan moving and setting himself array to get you. And it doesn't budge God at all because God already has a plan. So in his mind, it's like, just trust me. You may have to go through a storm. You may have to go through hail. You may have to go through snow. You may have to go through fire and ice. But God says, that's not going to stop what I've already planned. So if you stick with me, 
you're going to get what you belong, what belongs to you. You're going to achieve what belongs to you. So now that shifts the question to us. Not the question is not on Satan because he's doing what he's supposed to do. The question to us is who will we lean on? Will we lean to our own understanding? Will we lean and look at uh, the satanic attack? Will we get frustrated and give up and walk away? Or will we lean into God? If we lean into God, we will make statements like this, Lord, help me to bring forth. In other words, I know I'm going to face some challenges and I know the challenges can't stop what you're producing in me. So what I need you to do, Lord, is help me produce even though I'm challenged. Help me produce even though stress is coming my way. Help me to produce even though I'm starting to doubt in certain areas. One of the things that Satan throws at us is just simple doubt where we believe God, but we're believing in a God we cannot see. So there's a whole lot of things we have to just trust. We, we, we have to trust that God is speaking to us, but I don't know what his voice sounds like. I think I know what his voice sounds like. I believe I know, but Satan can cause doubt. Satan can whisper things that sound like God's voice and get me confused. So there's a lot of things that happen. So we have to have the mindset, Lord, help me bring forth. In other words, I know I can do it, but I can't do it without your help. So if you stick with me and I stick with you, I'm going to consistently cry out to you for help. All right, let's go further. Genesis 35, 16. Then they moved on from Bethel. Bethel meaning the house of God. Now, now Sunday, I, I mentioned it and I, I didn't say it totally correctly, cor- correctly but Beth, that, that prefix Beth means house of. El means God, where we get Elohim. Uh, it, it means God. I, I mentioned uh, House of Light uh, on Sunday, but but that is not the most correct. Correct uh, House of God is most correct uh, definition for Bethel. So Bethel, House of God. So let's put the scripture back up. Then they moved on from Bethel. Uh, now we went from Genesis 30 and we dropped all the way down to Genesis 35. A lot had, had happened between those two spots. But prophetically, what I'm saying is when you see Bethel, house of God, you see part of the wisdom of what we're saying. When you know you need the Lord's help, you spend ample time in the house of God. You, you, you give yourself to the house of God, uh, not just the physical building, but you make sure you're connected to the things of God because I can't do this without you, God. So I need you in my house and I need to be in your house. We are the temple of God. So God, I need you in me and I need me in you. The one scripture says in John, if I abide in you and you abide in me, or if I abide in, if my word abide in you and your word abide in me, you shall have what you will. In other words, there is a relationship. There is a union. So they moved on from Bethel, the house of God. So you need to spend time in the house of God. You need to invite God into your house, your literal physical house, but also your temple, your figurative temple. You, you need to invite God into your space. And then you need to bring yourself to the house of God, whether you're tuning in online or coming in the doors or whether you're turning on television where uh, a, uh, a church service is being played or you're watching YouTube, you need to immerse yourself in the house of God, because that's going to help you 
uh, to get the help you need. If you know there is a war going on, you need to spend more time with the army that can protect you. If I know there's a war going on and I keep being chummy, buddy-buddy with the enemy, I can't be surprised when I get captured, when I get shot, when I, I lose because I'm not paying attention. But if I know there's a war going on, I'm going to try to protect myself from everything that the enemy has, and I'm going to try to protect, uh, get, surround myself with my team. Now, here's the difference. Because we're Christians and we've read the back of the book, we already know our army wins. Our army outlasts the army of the enemy. So how dumb would it be for us to hang with the army of the enemy, knowing they're going to lose and go down with them? How about we hang with the house of God, the army of the Lord? All right, that's, that's pretty simple, self-explanatory. Let's read further. Then they moved on from Bethel. While they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. So another thing we, we bring, we're bringing up spiritually is on your way to your destiny, even when you spent time with God, you've been in the army of the Lord, you're in the house of God and God is in your house. That doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean you will escape great difficulty. Some things you bring forth will only come with great difficulty, not just little difficulty, great difficulty. One saying is said this way, no pain, no gain. There are some things you're only going to achieve through some sort of effort, whether it's physical effort, spiritual effort, because we're in a war and you have an enemy. And then also you're just dealing with normal life. You're dealing with the flesh. Not only are you dealing with demons and principalities and powers, you're, you're dealing with structures like uh, the education structure, the financial structures. You're dealing with sexual uh, uh, attacks. You're dealing with your human weaknesses. You're dealing with generational curses. So if you're going to bring forth anything in this day and age, it's going to come with great difficulty. But that's not going to phase us simply because we already started this off with, Lord, help me bring forth. So that means the greater the difficulty, the greater the help. So when, when great difficulty comes, I don't lean away from God. I lean into God because he is where my help is. David said it this way in Psalms 121, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills with cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. He was basically saying, I'm going to be looking up toward the God that is heaven because he's the only one who can really help me. So instead of looking at my problem, I'm looking at my God. I'm looking up at my God because that's where my help is coming from. I always like to use these two analogies when I talk about uh, this. Uh, one is me being in Colorado and seeing big, huge uh, mountains on the ground that seem so daunting and huge. And then when I was flying back home to Indianapolis, seeing the same mountains and they looked so small. And the difference was, was, was my perspective. And one perspective, I was looking from the ground. The other perspective, I was looking from the air. I was looking from heaven. So that's very true of our life. Yes, things are great difficulty, especially if you only view it 
from the ground or the earthly. But if you look up to your help and view things from God's point of view, what looks so big in earthly terms seems so small in spiritual terms. Because if God can die for me, take on all the sin of the world, and then go to the grave and raise up three days later, he can handle my small problem. Because compared to that, my problem is small. Now, when I look at it from the earthly standpoint, my problem is huge. Look at it from the heavenly standpoint, my problem is quite small. So, so that's one thing when I, when I look at uh, perspective, I always am reminded of that, that it just depends on where you're looking from. So if you're looking from the standpoint of who's going to give you the help, you're going to be okay. I, I, I had two examples I was, I was going to give. Uh, I think I'm just going to move on. I may come back to the other example uh, later. So let's go to the next verse, verse 17. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair for you have another son. This is actually what got me even in this uh, topic. I, I started studying midwives. Midwives is what came to me as I was thinking about Mother's Day, the idea of midwives. And I had talked and preached on midwives before because there's, there's a uh, scripture in the time of Moses and in Exodus about midwives. And I had talked about that before, and I thought that's where God was going to take me. But God took me totally uh, different. And so I began to study midwives and just was being was fascinated. And I found a, a lady who had written an article in 2001. And I'm not for sure how long uh, it, or like if she's still doing it now. But she was talking about being a midwife in the 21st century, what that means in today's uh, vernacular. And then she tied it back in to times before and and. Uh, this is the first time we see the term midwife in scripture. And uh, the lady was talking about that. It's, it was actually an ancient practice. So basically, the midwife was anyone who stood in the gap to help the woman bring forth labor. So when you think about times past, it was even more important because we didn't have they didn't have hospitals, doctors and things like that. So the midwife was very, very important. So let's uh, look at some of the things I had in my study that I'd shared with us. Midwife, the word midwife derives from Old English mid, meaning with, and wife, W-I-F, meaning woman. That is, it refers to the person, not necessarily a woman, who was with the mother giving birth. So it's whoever is helping the person give birth. So it could, the midwife could be a man. Midwife could be a woman, but in our uh, spiritual uh, allegory example that I was connecting is the midwife for us is God or the Holy Spirit helping us to produce. So whoever is with us to help us produce is the midwife. All right, so let's look at this. It says there are really very few scenarios that take a mother's life in labor and delivery. In such a situation, blood loss, blood loss is most likely the cause of death. The common cause of death is the, the mother losing blood. So this is this lady, once again, writing in 2001, and she's talking about in her times of being a midwife, all the things that she's seen, and she realizes that very few things actually take the mother out in pregnancy 
the highest probability is when they just are losing a lot of blood. So she's explaining that. And then uh, this is uh, some research that that I saw, and it says this, the uterine adeny can result in considerable bleeding following the delivery of the placenta. There are several causes. One is a long, drawn-out labor, which leaves the uterus too exhausted to clamp down efficiently. One cardinal rule in dealing with a woman who is hemorrhaging is to keep her attention focused on the here and now. That was the main point that I wanted to get to. This means commanding her to stay with you to look you or her mate in the eyes or to touch and speak to her baby. In essence, this means the mustering of her vital force and participation, especially critical if she is drifting or fading out. So if she's losing a lot of blood, they have to get the bleeding to stop. But the problem is it's not like a cut. It's not like an open wound where they can just bandage it. It's her body doing what it normally should do in trying to push out the baby, but it's pushing out too much blood. So they've got to figure out a way to get the body to reverse what it had been doing to get it to stop. And they're saying they tried to shift the mother's focus from what I just went through, the pain that I'm in, the pain of labor to the joy of what I have just now produced. And so even to this day, when a mother has finally got the baby out and the umbilical cord is cut, they put the mother on the baby as soon as possible so a certain bonding can happen. Because what happens is the emotions and joy that happens from the fruit of their labor it causes the body to go into its reversal and it causes the body to heal. Now, what we do know about our bodies, our bodies are trained to heal themselves. So whatever medical science does, it's only trying to trigger the body to do what it already does. Even when, when they bandage you, on, you have an open wound, they're just trying to stop the bleeding so that the body can reverse and start healing. Same principle here with the mother as well, and the same principle as it comes to our spirituality. When we go through hard, difficult seasons, it causes us to hemorrhage a lot of who we are, our soul, our will, our mind, our emotions. Sometimes our spirits are weak. Uh, One scripture says the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak. But if we can see and focus on the joy, the scripture says it this way when it comes to Jesus. It says, that uh, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And then it says, and is now set down at the right hand of God. So basically, it is saying in the moment that Jesus was on the cross being crucified, he saw joy. And so he focused on joy. So what could be so joyous to cause him to endure such pain and not just physical pain, but emotional pain, but also the pain of knowing he had to take on the sins of the entire world, a perfect, sinless, spotless human being taking on sins of the most vile, evil people in the world to the point where his father is literally turning his back on him and he cries out, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? But what made Jesus process through that? The scripture says it was joy. What joy? The joy of the fact that him doing that was going to open up the door 
for many souls to be saved and brought into the family of God. God had a son, but he wanted a family. He traded his son for a family, for God so loved the world that he gave. That's the whole premise of the gospel. So what that means is even though there's just a few of us here in the building and there's there's a few of us online, that means it's a possibility as Jesus was on the cross, he saw us in this moment in 2022 listening to and studying the word of God and trying to be better. And for that to him, that was enough joy for him to endure what he went through. I'm so crazy to believe that he saw my life. He saw me accepting the call to preach. He saw me getting up and sharing the word of God. And that gave him enough joy to persevere on. Whatever you've done that God has blessed you with, just imagine that Jesus saw that and said, because of this, I cannot quit. I got to go to this cross. I have to stay on this cross because one day there'll be an Ella. And because of that, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to persevere. In other words, he focused his attention on the joy and the possibilities more than the pain. And that caused him to persevere. And it's a very spiritual thing, but it's a very simple principle. Focus on the positive and it will cause the negative to go in reverse. So having said that, let's look at uh, point four. Bringing forth can be so exhausting and taxing that it's easier to give up than it is to press ahead. Number five, when we say, Lord, help me bring forth, we are asking the Holy Spirit to be our midwife, to keep us focused on the positive in trying pressure-filled times. So instead of us focusing on the pressure-filled times and focusing on what's how exhausting it's been, how trying it's been. We decide to say, Lord, help me bring forth. In other words, let the Holy Spirit be that midwife that keeps me in the game when I'm ready to give up, when I'm ready to quit. The scripture also says, do not be weary in well-doing, for you will reap only if you faint not. So the only way I lose is if I quit. I'm guaranteed to win as long as I don't quit. So, God, I need you to help me not quit. I need you to help me stay in the fight. I need you to help me focus on what I need to focus on. What coaches are great at is telling players, even when they're down 20, you can still win this game. You can still do it. Listen, listen, just buckle down. Be disciplined. Just get a few stops. We can turn this thing around. A, a coach inspires and lets the player know you're never out of this. We can do it. We can make it happen. Just keep pushing. And that's what the Holy Spirit does to us and does for us, especially when we ask for it. Lord, help me bring forth. In other words, when I get weak, don't let me give up. When my addiction pops back up, don't let me give over to it. God, I'm sorry. Help me. Forgive me. Get me back on track because I know on the other side of whatever I'm going through is going to be a, a joy. So I'm going to per persevere with your help. And uh, I'm, I'm going to go all the way back to what the, the woman said. Let's see. She says right here. Let's put this up. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair. Don't give up. Don't be afraid. Don't quit for you have another son. In other words, what she was saying is actually the very thing that you wanted is here. But the problem was 
getting there was so exhausting that Rachel had focused on the wrong thing. The midwife never brought up the bleeding, never brought up the fact that she could be in danger of losing her life. The midwife said, Rachel, don't despair. The promise is here. And that's that's the thing I'm saying to you, saints. Don't despair. The promise is here. The blessing is here. The the, the journey uh, of destiny is here. Look, things are going to get better. I'm, I'm trying to convince you of it. Now, we could talk about all the issues. We could talk about all the problems. But as a leader, I would be a horrible person if I got you to focus on the problem. Because if you focus on the problem, you're going to faint. And if you faint, it's over for you. So my job is to get you to keep looking ahead. Keep looking at the possibility. Keep uh, hope alive like Jesse Jackson. It's my job to stir you up to what is possible with God. Because with God, all things are possible to those that believe. So fear is the number one thing that comes against our faith. So that's why the midwife said, don't despair. Don't be afraid. Don't quit. Don't look at the problem. Don't look at the Dow Jones. Don't look at the the, the political arena. Don't look at at, at, at the, the stock market. Don't look at your job. Don't look at the relationship you just lost. Don't look at uh, the bad diagnosis. It's not that you ignore it, you see it, but don't focus on it. Focus on something else. And when you focus on something else, joy can come. Me personally, I could focus on the fact that my father died recently. It's not a day that goes by that he doesn't cross my mind. But I'm choosing to focus on what he left me more than what I lost Because what he left me is so beautiful. The legacy that he left me, what he taught me, what he gave me, how much we laughed, his stories. That's what I choose to focus on because if I don't do that, grief will gobble me up. So I'm choosing what to focus on. And I'm saying the same thing to you. I'm trying to be your midwife in this time and say, focus on the positive. And one of the ways to do that is tell the Lord, help me bring forth. All right, so let's let's look at this next verse, which is actually tragic now that I've explained it. As she breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Onai. So even though the midwife was trying to get her to focus on you have another son, the scripture says she breathed her last and she named the son Ben-Onai, which means son of my sorrow. So... She, in other words, she had, she, she gave up. She was just like, okay, this is it. And then I'm going to name him based on this. Now, remember, she's the one who asked God to add to her another son. She, she, she asked it. It happened, but she didn't have the faith to believe that she would make it to see. So she named him son of my sorrow. But as we look on, it says, but remember what but does, but cancels out. That first cause, but his father named him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. The left hand in scripture is the hand of judgment. The right hand is the hand of blessing. Jacob saw it as a blessing. Rachel could only see it as sorrow because of what it costs to get her to this place. And because of that, she breathed her last. But Jacob was not going to allow that to be the last thing that he saw. And here's the thing that we must remember. 
Rachel was the woman he loved. But Jacob had got to the place where he understood, I'm grateful for every blessing. So I'm not going to worry about what's lost. I'm going to worry about what is left. But his wife couldn't see the same. So let's look at verse 19. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. What we know about Bethlehem is the place where Jesus was born. So it reminds me spiritually, on the way to the promise, Rachel died. It, it, it's not like she never got there. She was on the way to the promise. They were on the way to Bethlehem and she died in the journey. What I don't want you to do is die in the journey because then the pain wasn't worth it for you. Now, the pain was worth it for Benjamin because he became something. He became one of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Paul was a Benjamite. So it was worth it for Benjamin. So what she produced, it was worth it. But she lost in the process. So, Lord, help me to bring forth. But don't help, don't let me die bringing forth. Don't let the thing that I bring forth be better than me. No, no, I want to see the fruit of my labor. There are people who have uh, got a business off the ground and and give up. And when they give up, they don't know that they were on point to do something amazing. Somebody else swoops in, takes over the business. It takes off. And they could have been something and end up being nothing. I was listening to a guy on Netflix uh, one of the uh, founders and creators of Netflix, and he was talking about Blockbuster. So many of us remember Blockbuster movies and how big that was and how on Friday night you would go to the the movie store, and Blockbuster was one of those main things. But now Blockbuster is a company that no longer exists. So Netflix was on Blockbuster's heels, and Blockbuster tried one thing they failed to stop Netflix, tried a second thing that failed to stop Netflix, tried a third thing, and this third thing was working. The Netflix person says that in just a few short months or year, Blockbuster would have gobbled Netflix up. However, the person who came up with the idea that the Netflix person said they had them scared in their boots because they thought that their journey was over. Netflix was going to be over. The person who had came up with the idea, Blockbuster, decided to fire. They said, we don't believe in your idea. They fired him, kicked him off the team, brought on somebody new to the team, made them the new CEO who knew nothing about digital and Blockbuster faded into oblivion. But the answer, according to the Netflix person, was there all along. But they quit on the answer, fired the answer. And now Netflix is a multi-billion dollar company. But the founder of Netflix is saying, we saw Blockbuster was getting ready to turn and take us out. But they made one wrong decision. They quit on the wrong person. And what I'm saying to you is don't be blockbuster. Don't quit on God when you are about to catch the enemy and you're about to make the enemy pay for everything he's done. Don't quit. Don't be a Rachel. Don't be a blockbuster. Don't 
die on the way to the promise. Just tell the Lord, Lord, help me bring forth. Come hell or high water, I'm bringing forth. I'm pushing this thing out of me. I'm reaching my destiny. I'm reaching my thing. My ministry will expand. My family will be saved. My money will turn around. My addiction will fall. I will be delivered. That's what I'm always preaching to you. I'm always pushing hope into you. But guess what? I can't hope for you. If you decide to quit and give up, there's nothing I can do. So I'm encouraging you, don't be a Rachel, don't be a blockbuster. Somebody uh, write that in the comments, I won't be a blockbuster. All right, let's, let's look at this. Number six, when we say, Lord, help me bring forth, we're saying, Lord, don't let us die on the way to our promise. I've seen someone just talk, type that my business will be good. Yeah, yeah, Crystal, I, I agree with that. I believe with you. Genesis 35, 20, over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar. And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Here's the truth of the matter for all of us. We all have some things in our past that we have tombs and pillars to where we quit and gave up too soon. We can't fix that. We're just saying moving forward, we're going to do something different. We didn't know. We didn't know back then. But now we know better. And since we know better, we can do better. Verse uh, 3520, over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar. And to this day, that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. Point number seven, when we say, Lord, help me bring forth, we are saying the pillars of our past can't stop the production of our future. That's that's the key. I don't care what's happened in the past. If you're here now, you still have an opportunity to produce. So the pillars of our past will not stop the production of our future. And the only way it can stop the production of your future is if you keep going back and visiting the past. You got to get out of the past and you got to move forward. Yeah, yeah, you may have had failed relationship in the past. Who cares? This is a new day. You may have had failed business in the past. Who cares? This is a new day. You ask the inventor of the light bulb how many times they tried to get the light bulb to work. If they dwelled in the past, none of us would have lights today. We're not looking at the past. We're looking at the future. Ask the Wright brothers how many people laughed at them and said when they said that they thought a vehicle, a vehicle could go in the sky. Vehicles, it was barely just getting off a horse and buggy and and moving down the road. And now they're talking about they think stuff can fly in the air like a bird. They laughed at them ridiculously. But the reason why we can fly from one place to another is because the Wright brothers would not give up. They would not allow the pillars of their past to stop the production of the future. So the question we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus does not come back, what will we leave the generations ahead of us? Are we going to leave them only a whole bunch of failures because we quit or are we going to leave them all these inventions, all these things we did because we forged ahead? The choice is up to us. All right, let's look at our last two verses. Genesis 35, 27. Jacob came home to his father, Isaac and Mamre near Kiriath Arba. That is Hebron where Abram and Isaac had stayed. And I, I went to this because of the fact that it proves that, because uh, we're talking about Jacob and Rachel, but then it goes all the way back to 
Isaac. So it proves that the father-in-law outlasted the daughter-in-law. He was still living when she died. That's not supposed to happen. The, the children are supposed to outlive the fathers. So that shows us that she, she died too quick. It's not that what she went through wasn't harsh, but it seems to suggest to us she gave up too quick. And then it tells us this in that next verse, Genesis 35, 28, Isaac lived 180 years. And so as I looked at that, there's one thing that stuck out in my mind was 180 degrees, which we know as a turnaround. A 360 degree turnaround puts you back where you started, but a 180 degree puts you in the opposite direction. So if we're looking at the pillars of our past, a 180 gives us a turnaround to only move forward. So when we say, Lord, help us bring forth, we are believing God for an extreme turnaround. So let's even say it even better. Here we go again. When we say, Lord, help me bring forth, we are saying, turn us away from the past direction that brought death to a new direction that brings life. So we're believing in the life of God that moves us forward. So having said that, I must say, I believe in you because God believes in you. Uh, I'll close by saying this. Sometimes uh, as I pray personally and I'm talking to God about leading this church and the people that I minister to, there's many things that I'm asking myself. And so one of the questions I ask myself is, am I giving you guys false hope? Like, what if it's not what I say it is? And so I, I check with myself and I'm like, God, am I giving them false hope? And God's like, no, I want you to keep inspiring them. I want you to keep giving them hope. I want you to keep building faith in them because I really plan on doing something for them. It's to the point where I say, God, if you're not going to do it, let me not be telling them stuff. I don't want to give them a bunch of dreams that, that are not going to produce anything. So if you're not going to bless them, if you're not going to turn things around, don't let me preach this stuff to them. I mean, these are serious questions I have with God because sometimes I preach it and we, we like, I preach something great on Sunday and Monday I hear news where my, my, my members are getting attacked with all kinds of stuff. Last week when I was in Michigan, there was four calls that I had with four people who were in the hospital. And I'm, I'm like, God, but he keeps telling me, no, keep moving forward. Keep moving the, the people forward. So I'm convinced that there are breakthroughs available to us. We just have to keep pressing and pushing because God plans on doing it. And if he isn't, I'll be the first to let you know. Now, I changed my mind. God ain't saying that no more. I'll be the first. But right now he keeps telling me to keep encouraging you not to quit. So that's what I'm going to do, because if God believes in you, I believe in you, too. All right, let's bow our heads and let's close in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you and love you and we appreciate you for all that you are, all that you mean. God, we know that this is a season where we still can win. No matter what the economy is doing, no matter what is happening around us, no matter what failure we've, we've dealt with, no matter the issues, we can win if we ask you to help us bring forth. So God, we're asking you to help us bring forth and help us bring forth full term a blessing that will change the course of life for the people around us. And for that, we thank you. 
praise you, honor you, and love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all. Much love to you. Thank you. Good evening.